0: Hey warriors! Welcome to Tea Cakes in Tarot, conversations with queer futurists. I am your host, Will Wilhelm. We've got a very enlightening episode for y'all today with one of my favorite humans on the entire planet. Listening back to it these few months later honestly brought up a lot of feelings for me. So before I get into any of that, I just want to let you experience this. Today, I am sharing space with the queen of new work, a writer, a dramaturg extraordinaire, and current PhD candidate at Northwestern University, which is Erin and I's alma mater. Go Cats! (laughs) I'm bringing you the enchanting Linnea Valdivia. Our conversation was originally recorded on October 23rd, 2020. Hello, hello, hello! Hi, Linnea. Hi. How,
1: are How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm so great right now. I'm really happy to see you. I know we've been doing our little Zoom updates uh, throughout the year, but I love that we get to do this time um, together and I get to like share some of the really cool, amazing things that you do that like not a lot of people, even theater audiences, but sometimes other theater professionals like don't really fully understand the work of what you do. And so we're here to teach them.
1: Yes, let's, let's do that.
0: Before we like dive into what makes your, like your work unique and specific, I think it's useful to just like, I, I said, you're a dramaturg, but will you just like in a couple sentences describe like what the basis of dramaturgy is so that people understand that?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I can try and do it in a few sentences, but I know what a dramaturg does is so many things and can mean so many different things in different situations. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way that I understand it and the way that I usually practice dramaturgy in a a production space, let's narrow it down to that, is that um, I consider myself a creative liaison between the text and the creative team. And that means both the director and designers, but also to the cast and the people that are actually gonna be on stage bringing the show to life. Um, So that involves, you know, research into the historic specifics of the play and the playwright, but it also kind of takes into account um, the ways that the director and designers want to visually bring the world to life. Like what kinds of things do we want to be emphasizing this performance and why are we doing this play now?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love, I love how you phrase that, creative liaison. Like, that's very much, that's very much what you are. And it's a liaison between, like, so many things that I feel like sometimes you don't even know what you've signed up for. Um, because it can't, like, because it's just about, like, the history and the context. Uh, like, that could be anything. Um, but something that, so you wrote this um, amazing article for HowlRound about um, queer criticism, and, and you interviewed me for that. Thank you. Um, and something that I'm really uh, this is a selfish question I'm like I'm I'm coming up against this in my own art and I'm like I hope Linnea has the answer for me um as the creative <laughs> liaison I I too. What, what you do like especially when okay so especially when we're talking about like queer people or queer history or queer stories or queer moments like you know Um, you, you have to like give people the knowledge and the education, um, and the context for them to be able to like make smart artistic choices about that. And, you know, I hate, I personally hate to see straight people tell queer stories. I don't know, I don't necessarily love it uh, when a straight actor is, is playing a, a queer character. That's not my favorite thing to see. Mm-hmm. But when there are queer stories or queer characters, there are at least, you know, there's a straight designer or director like the or stage manager. There are, there are straight people in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to sort of get them like on the page. Everyone has to understand all of the same things. I love that you wrote that about queer theater criticism because I feel like critics whether or not they're creative, critics are the liaison from the theater to the public. And so when it comes to like your work or like what like what you wrote in that article about like what criticism needs to be doing for the public, I'm at this point right now where I'm like, do I even bother explaining what I'm doing so that straight people understand it? Because, you know, critics are overwhelmingly white overwhelmingly cis overwhelmingly straight so like there's you know they're they're coming they're coming at a lot of things with a narrow um understanding or a narrow scope or just a narrow life experience and so it's hard because i'm like my job if you're the liaison my work is getting translated through a likely a straight white male lens And should I even be trying to take that into account account, or do I just say like, absolutely, fuck it. I don't care if you get it or not. It's not for you anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a a really great reaction um, because I mean, it's so exhausting to feel like you constantly have to be explaining yourself and translating your art, not only making it for yourself and making the point that you wanna make, but then saying, okay, now I have to take this extra step so that Judy will understand or, you know, or whoever. Um, And um, not just continue to plug my article, um, but part of what I was writing about was saying that like, you know, critics, I think, um, I think somewhat unfairly, I'll go ahead and say that, somewhat unfairly are seen as um, being kind of against the theater or, or working against the artist. When really I think, us generative artists will group, I'll group us together Us generative artists and the critic are all part of kind of one system of theater creation. And, um, and, and I don't think that we can, like, we can't exist without each other. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't think.
1: And, um, part of what I was writing about was, you know, I'm not saying that there should be no straight white critics out there, but if you do go, if you do go into criticism, you need to, put in the time to not only see the art um, and digest it, but also have an expansive worldview. So you're not just going in completely culturally unattached to any show, because what does that mean? Like, like how can you accurately reflect what's happening on stage or wherever in the movies or, or, or like paintings, mm-hmm. if, like you are completely unattached from the culture that is, create like is it as creating the art or it you know is making the art for if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I just like I wonder like how you sort of like hold the duality of those things and like I don't know. I I don't feel like that there's ne- always like um active resistance to that idea, but there's so much like like negligence to everything that you just said. Like people don't yeah. hold what you just what you just said within with, like great, and um, the great amount of importance that it deserves, that it needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I definitely agree. And that's kind of, that's, I mean, I think that's the tricky part of it, is like, there's no easy answer to it, because I think if you ask any critic, they're going to say, oh, yes, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing my part to, like, educate myself or whatever, be immersed in the culture that I'm writing about, but there are always going to be blind spots, and there's always going to be, like, gaps in that understanding, and um, I think, for those of us that are now we're getting kind of meta but for those of us that are reading the criticism like there has to be like it's it's really tricky to understand like to to think about okay is this critic saying like there's something um like there's something missing from this piece or is this critic just unaware of this community issue or or what have you yeah. um it's very tricky yeah
0: <laughs> uh, it's and i feel like a few, some people do it well or some people do it well sometimes, and some people do it well often, um, but then a lot of people just don't.
1: <laughs> um,
0: to that, Something I'm curious about, um, a different thing, um, is you and I have, like, we've read a lot of plays together, um, and we've read plays that are adaptations, we've read plays that are historical we've read like all sorts of things and so I'm curious like as a dramaturg um I'm curious what you do um to sort of marry especially when we're when we're like we're adapting an existing work when a classic an old work let's say when you're taking a classic and you're putting it in the in the moment and to me that is already um I, like, I think of queering not only as, like, you know, gender identity and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. Queering, to me, is, like, reinterpreting, reimagining, taking what was there and making it mean something new. That's what queerness as, like, the verb is to me. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm interested how you take um, take classic stories, make them for the now, and and, like them in the way that only you can
1: (laughs) that's a really great question um yeah i think it's it's like if we're going to take oklahoma for example so just a little bit of background on that production so will and i met at this production of oklahoma where the the leading couples were recast as same-sex couples and a a, um, more gender diverse cast um in in many um, iterations of that word and um I think in taking, I think in many cases, especially in the case of the Oklahoma that we worked on, it's queering is about like changing the meaning of the play. But I think it's also in a lot of cases, especially in Oklahoma, it was about finding queer histories that have been overwritten and have been um, shoved aside and have been actively and violently erased. And so um, I'm taking a little bit more of a literal meaning of queering than-, than but um, for me, like querying older works or ad- adapting older, older, older works, um, the most compelling way of doing that, in my opinion, as a dramaturg, is to look for and draw out histories that exist in the margins of those stories and histories that have not been written and histories that have been, as I said, actively erased um which is why our canon is so white so straight so full of stories about men losing the house you know (laughs) all from grace
0: yeah you do the work that you do so well i was so grateful to be collaborating with you i have um like one silly question okay um, so you just started your phd you're going to be a doctor Um, and Dr. Linnea Valdivia, I'm like, I'm curious about like in five or six or seven or however many years it takes years when you are Dr. Linnea Valdivia and the American theater is, um, in great need of an operation as it probably already is and it's an operation on you know the mind or the soul or the body or the organs or the anything and as um Dr. Linnea Valdivia what operation would you if you like had all the resources at your fingertips what operation would you give to our industry
1: oh boy what a question. Um, <laughs> Yikes. That's also, that's also not a silly question. (laughs) Like I thought it was going to be.
0: I just like understand (laughs) that like, you're not like that. That's not the sort of doctor, but I'm like, Oh my God. I wish, I wish that's what she could do. Just sort of cut and snip and paste. And sew. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Surgency, right. (laughs) There'd be
1: some things that we'd be doing. Different. Oh, Zoe in the chat says
0: a transfusion. Oh, Miss that. Miss. Love that, love that. Thank you for that. Um,
1: I think to give a like kind of maybe a boring question, I mean, a, maybe a boring-ish answer. I think one of the things, sorry, my lovely dog Tuna is very upset for something. I think she's also mourning what's happening to the, the state of our theater right now. Um, One thing that I I think I'm really concerned about in this pandemic, I mean, one of 3,000 things, is that our small and mid-sized theaters are closing at much higher rates than, you know, like our huge theaters are suffering immensely right now. And our small and mid-sized theaters that are the incubators of new work and new innovative work and helping to, um, like, give opportunities starting opportunities to actors and designers and like as a new work developer I'm really concerned about the playwrights but you know like as as Dr. Valdivia I think our our um, industry needs a major reinvestment in our small theaters because of the value that they provide to their individual communities but also to like the community as a whole like you know for talking about our industry as an ecosystem like we need the big broadway theaters sure but we also need the tiny community theaters in order to have space for new work and a diversity of voices that i think we just don't have right now and i'm very concerned about what this will look like five years from now You're so right. A reinvestment in small theaters is my answer.
0: That's the transfusion that Dr. Valdivia has ordered.
1: Mm-hmm, Take mm-hmm. your
0: prescription to the Walgreens and that's <laughs> that on that. I love you. Can I give you a little reading? I would love that. Yay, let's do it. Um, so, babe, mm-hmm. um, I'm shuffling these, uh, these cards. And I would love to hear from you, like anything that's going on in your mind that you want a little more clarity about, any question, any curiosity, anything along those lines?
1: Yeah, I think, so there's a lot happening right now (laughs) in my life and in the world. And, you know, my little family is, you know, going through like a bunch of transitions and i've just started school and um there's some big thing happening on november 3rd and i think what i want to ask is how can i best um like meet the demands that are being set for me right now like what um yeah. like how do i best meet you know the challenges that are upcoming for me
0: yes that's a great question Okay, I've been shuffling these and I'm just going to keep cutting the deck on camera so you can see it. But so you let me know when it feels like time and the, the top card will be yours. Okay. We'll talk about how to face these challenges. And stop. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Mm. The card I pulled is fortitude some decks call her strength so fortitude it's this woman and this lion it's both she holds this little delicate lotus flower um you know fortitude is a card about self-betterment but it's also about inner compassion being kind to yourself because we have this this lion, this sort of wild, untamable side. And sometimes the things that like we roar at are actually like, they're more about our insecurities than anything else. But she kind of has this gentle acceptance and the courage to acknowledge what makes her anxious and that that's okay. Mm -hmm. The lotus flower comes up, you know, from the mud, the muck um, in the riverbed perhaps but it's cleansed by the water on its way to the surface. And it's delicate. It's a delicate balance, um, you know, but she learns to hold that duality, um, which I love in response to what you just asked.
1: Me we'll too. Talk about that more in a little
0: bit, but um, I want to pair it with a Shakespeare sonnet.
1: Let's do it. So, I wore my Shakespeare shirt.
0: Yeah, Shakespeare show it people, all. Show people it's good. <laughs> So, I'm going to do the same thing. You let me know when it's time. And I'll read it for you twice, just because there are a lot of words. Shakespeare is
1: known for a lot of words, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now it's great. Great. This is sonnet 14. You ready? Not from the stars do I my judgment pluck, and yet, methinks, I have astronomy, but not to tell of good or evil luck, of plagues, of dearths, or seasons' quality, nor can I fortune to brief minutes tell, pointing to each his thunder, rain, and wind, or say with princes if it shall go well by oft predict that I in heaven find. But from thine eyes my knowledge I derive, And constant stars, in them I read such art as truth and beauty shall together thrive. If from thyself to store thou wouldst convert, or else of thee this I prognosticate. Thy end is truths and beauties, doom and date. (laughs) Mm. This is saying, this is a, a sonnet to a person who is so beautiful, who is so truthful that they're responsible for its entire survival. (laughs) It's saying like, you know, I can't really, I can't really read the stars. I can't read the constellations, but I can read, I can read the future in you. Mm. I can read the future in your beauty. Um, and, you know, I know that there is love with your little, within your little family. And so I wonder if you might be both the speaker and the recipient of such a sonnet as that. Let me read it to you one more time, but I, and I'm going to, I'm going to try and do two things at once. Um, I'm going to try and show you this. Can you see it sort of?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gorgeous.
0: Not from the stars do I my judgment pluck. And yet, methinks I have astronomy, but not to tell of good or evil luck, of plagues, of dearth, or seasons quality. Nor can I fortune to brief minutes tell, pointing to each his thunder, rain, and wind, or say with princes if it shall go well by oft predict that I in heaven find. But from thine eyes, my knowledge I derive. In constant stars, in them I read such art as truth and beauty shall together thrive. If from thyself to store thou wouldst convert. Or else of thee, this I prognosticate. Thy end is truth's and beauty's doom and date.
1: Aww. That was beautiful. That was like
0: exactly what I needed to hear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Um, is there anything, um, anything that you're noticing about either of these things that you just, that just pops out that you want to share? It's okay. If so, it's okay. If not. Um, the word plague really popped out to me.
1: <laughs> <I'll say that. laughs> I mean, just on yeah. a very face value reading of that. And I think it's really beautiful. And I think um, a common thought for me, at least these days of like, you know, I, I can't know, like, I just can't know what's going on and there's no way I can predict or see into the future, but all I can deal with, all I can really control in my life right now is the person sitting with me right now is the thing that's right in front of me. And I think, I think that's like a, a really wonderful reminder these days just to cherish the people that you do have.
0: Yeah. Fortitude and Sonnet 14, I think together when we think about how to rise to the challenges, the many overwhelmingly uh, overwhelming challenges that we're faced with and that you are faced with right now, they both hold duality. Um, But what truth and beauty what beauty and truth there is to your inner compassion, to acknowledging the many things that would cause you anxiety right now. How could you not acknowledge them? They would eat you alive. And there are many answers that we wish we could have. There are many dates and, you know, we, we you know, we wish we could read the stars to have a little more information. I'm always like, if only I had an end date, then I I'd be okay. Then I you know what I'm sure. But we don't is, is the fact we you we can't we can't predict the future, but we can see into ourselves and see into each other and see that there is a simple, quiet, delicate beauty and strength in that togetherness and that kindness. To each other and to yourself.
1: Mm. Beautifully said. Yes.
0: Yes, 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 to all that. I love you so much. This time always zooms by. Ha <laughs> ha, get it? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was <laughs> terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> zooms up,
0: <laughs> they keep coming. <laughs> um, it really does go by so quickly, though. And um, It's already our time, but I just want to say one more enormous thank you to you, Linnea. I love you so much, and I hope to talk to you very soon.
1: This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Will. Always such a joy to talk to you.
0: (sighs) I really appreciate Linnea for her brilliance, for her kindness, also for her beauty. Not for nothing. What's really sitting with me now, all these months later, though, is that reading, thinking about fortitude and strength. In the impetus for her reading, she talked about all of these upcoming events, all of this confusion, and I had mentioned, oh, if only we had a date, my whole perspective would shift. And that conversation was before an election, before vaccines, before the moment that we're in now, where that date or that range of dates or that possibility, whatever reopening is, is suddenly very near, or at least tangible. So I'm reflecting on a lot of the things that I've learned and we've learned and the things that have changed over this time. But I'm also reflecting a lot on the things that are very much the same in a way that is is harrowing, frankly. I'm sitting here thinking about and ruminating on the violence that we have seen happen while we've been quarantined in our homes and how that's not changing. Our heightened awareness around it has not made it stop. The strength that I'm calling on now, especially as a white person, is a much Bigger, broader scope. When it comes to interrupting things in the moment, that's the big note for me, as opposed to afterwards. When it comes to using your fortitude and your strength on behalf of something that's bigger than yourself, of course, I want you to be like gentle with yourself and compassionate, but we are approaching, (laughs) I say approaching as if we haven't been living in this constant. Place of fear and neglect and harm and danger for so many people. Sitting here in Chicago, where I live, thinking about the death of yet another teenager, Adam Toledo lost his life because our institutions are so deeply ingrained with racism. Thinking about these children in Arkansas who are being denied. Access to healthcare based on their gender identity. I really believe that the only thing that you can't get back in this world is time. To take away the life of a teenager, to take away the ability of a teenager to make decisions for their own well being, for their own health, it's the most excruciating thing I can imagine right now. We think about these stories in the abstract. And, you know, as individuals, it's not an individualized thing. When you look at the population of trans women of color in this country, over 40% of them are living with HIV and AIDS. That is an astronomically higher percentage than many other at-risk populations. Two-thirds of the trans women of color in this country are living at or below the poverty line. And if you think that's coincidental, if you don't understand that that is a system of oppression, Working against people based on the identities that they hold, based on the social positions that they are born into, that doesn't just happen on accident. We live in a country that made that so. The way that that permeates and affects so much of our daily lives because so many of our institutions, it feels like all of them are predominantly white institutions, that affects all of us and our psyche and our behavior, for all of our reading and reflection. I don't. I don't know if we understand the half of it. To be honest, sitting here on the floor of my apartment as a white person, I am asking myself, and I'm also asking you, especially fellow white people, what are we doing to actively make this world safer? This world is very dangerous for a lot of people. How are we going to make that change? How are we going to do more than a performative conversation about values? And how are we actually going to make safety in our buildings, in our organizations, and on our streets? How are we going to interrupt things in the moment that they happen, not afterwards? Because afterwards it's too late. It's too late. It's already been done. When something shitty or microaggressive is said, interrupting it in that moment is one thing, but also please recognize that your ability to make that snap decision and react immediately in favor of protecting those who need protection, that is the same snap decision that people with guns make about other people's lives. So I am imploring you and I to start getting very comfortable interrupting now. Get comfortable with how uncomfortable that makes you. Because time is being lost, lives are being lost, and we have a personal responsibility to make things different. You have a voice, I have a voice. Let's use them. Let's elevate the voices that need to be heard. I really do think there is power in our individual and collective voices. A lot of times when we talk about all of the things that are wrong with our world and our economy and our environment and our globe and governments, it's really easy to be like, this is all at the hands of corporations and all of these like enormous entities. And yes, they play a huge part in it. But I really do at my core believe that individual action and individual change makes a difference. So. Why don't we all stop trying to place the blame in other places, myself included, and take the responsibility on ourselves? That does bring me back to the other part of that reading, which was Sonnet 14. I don't know what the future holds. I'm frankly quite nervous about it. I want to be optimistic. I will say the thing that makes me optimistic and hopeful when I need it are people. Not groups of people, a list of individual people who I know have the power within them to lead with love and to lead us into a different life experience. So I'm asking you to do what you can to be one of those people too. Someone needs you. It is time to muster the fortitude and the strength. So what are you and I going to do about it? Babes fortitude. Okay. I want to send some more beautiful love and support and thanks to our guest, Linnea Valdivia. She is still in grad school, still pursuing becoming that doctor. She's been contributing some really wonderful pieces for American Theater Magazine. And so I encourage you to check those out. She's also continuing to be a champion of new work that she always is currently for Faultline Theaters, Irons and the Fire Festival. I can't wait to see what comes out of that. Thank you for being here and going on this journey. I think it's important to reflect in that way and see how things like the tarot, things like poetry, change meaning over time. Let's continue to reflect and to grow and to better ourselves because, babe, the work is not done. Thank you to our incredibly talented team that creates Tea Cakes and Tarot, Conversations with Queer Futurists. They are my co-creator, Aaron Murray, our producer, Island Shakespeare Festival, our graphic designer, Ray Catherine Morgan, and our sound engineer, Orion Schwalm. Lastly, I'll leave you with Sonnet 14 once more. Not from the stars do I my judgment pluck. And yet, methinks I have astronomy. But not to tell of good or evil luck, Of plagues, of dearths, or seasons' quality, Nor can I fortune to brief minutes tell, Pointing to each his thunder, rain, and wind, Or say with princes, if it shall go well, By oft predict that I in heaven find. But from thine eyes my knowledge I derive, And constant stars, in them I read such art As truth and beauty shall together thrive, If from thyself to store, thou wouldst convert. Or else of thee, this I prognosticate. Thy end is truths and beauties, doom and date. Okay, y'all. Stay strong. Please, please, please speak up and protect each other. And until the next time, keep on shining.